Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, the podcast brought to you by the Performance Improvement Program team at Vizient. I'm Marilyn Sherrill, Senior Performance Improvement Program Director here at Vizient, and your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most fundamental procedures in healthcare, the act of listening to the heart through a stethoscope. The stethoscope was first invented in France in the 1860s, and the stethoscope as we know it today was designed back in the 1960s by a doctor named Littmann at Harvard. But it really hasn't changed much at all in the last 50 years or so until now. I think everyone can agree that the stethoscope is an extremely valuable tool for diagnosing heart and lung issues. It's cheap and non-invasive and pretty much universally available, and it is often the best chance to diagnose some serious diseases in the early stages. But what may be underappreciated is how much experience and training and skill it takes to use the stethoscope. In fact, there's a lot of talk these days about auscultation skills getting a lot worse in younger doctors and that it's becoming a lost art in medicine. So today we're talking with our resident technology expert, Dr. Joe Cummings, to hear more about some new AI technology that can maybe help revive the lost art of diagnosing heart murmurs using a stethoscope. Welcome, Dr. Cummings. Thanks, Marilyn. My pleasure. So tell us more about this AI-based technology that you recently evaluated. There are a bunch of AI programs now being developed that use deep learning AI algorithms to help interpret heart sounds. A couple examples that are pretty far along and commercially available include one from a company called Echo, and they're well known for making digital stethoscopes. So their business model is to provide their AI software for heart murmur detection for use when you're using their stethoscopes. There's also another similar product from a company called eMurmur. They're a software company, and that makes them sort of hardware agnostic. And so basically, if you have a digitized sound signal from any stethoscope, you can run it through their app on your mobile device, and it'll tell you if there's a heart murmur present, and if it is, is it pathologic or is it innocent? Okay, so when you say commercially available, I assume that means FDA cleared? Yeah, both of these that I mentioned have been cleared by the FDA through the 510K process, with both getting their original approvals back in 2019, and they both have updated approvals more recently in 2022 as well. But despite being technically available for a while now, I'd say they're both really still in the early adopter phase. So there's maybe not a huge amount of use right now, but it's really starting to pick up. It works just like all of the other AI applications that we've talked about before. So it works just like the AI in the colonoscopy podcast that you and I did recently. And it's also pretty much the same as using AI to read x-rays and to analyze pictures of skin lesions for detecting melanoma and using retinal images to diagnose diabetic retinal. So the key to all of these healthcare applications is you really need to have a large data set of digital data that's annotated with the correct medical diagnosis, and then use that data to train an AI neural network model. And just as an aside, one of the interesting things I think is that the actual AI programs and codes for all these applications is all really very similar. You just take the same basic program called a convolutional neural network and you train it on a different data set. And then the model learns to autonomously recognize what the important features are in the image. So again, the key concept of machine learning is that you don't have to explicitly tell the model what features to look for. It just kind of learns that on its own during the training process. And this concept of machine learning is really where you get a lot of your value from AI. Okay, so the data set in radiology is pretty straightforward. All the medical images are digitized and annotated with the diagnosis and sitting in the radiology of PACS system. 
So where is the data set for stethoscope sounds? It comes from digital or electronic stethoscopes. So these are another emerging technology, and they come in different forms. For example, in one form, they basically just put a microphone in the tubing of a conventional stethoscope, and you can sometimes even toggle it on and off if you want to just listen the old-fashioned way. But another form that's really rapidly emerging is a tubeless handheld device that it really looks nothing like your conventional stethoscope. It's basically a microphone and the electronics package into a small, usually a disc-shaped device, and it uses wireless or Bluetooth to send the sound signal straight to some wireless headphones or maybe to your phone. So this tubeless form is getting a lot of traction nowadays because you can also use it for telehealth applications. And so it's part of the whole trend that's going on now, more and more use of telemedicine and remote monitoring. So that's really exciting. So the digital stethoscope manufacturers were the key to creating the training data set? Exactly. And just like in other AI applications, they have some proprietary databases that are maintained by these manufacturers. But also there are beginning to be some publicly available heart sound databases, and these are collected mostly by your academic groups. But if this heart murmur application follows the pathway of a lot of other healthcare AI apps, these public databases are going to be the key to the development of a lot more alternative products here in the near future. Okay, so we got the digitalized data. Remind me now, what do we do with it? You make what's called a phonocardiogram, which is just a visual representation of the sound signal. So on the phonocardiogram, you can see these two big spikes, and they're going to correspond to the lub-dub sounds, which are your normal heart sounds that you get when the different heart valves are opening and closing. But you might also see some spikes for sounds in between the lub-dub sounds, and these might indicate a heart murmur. So you use the AI algorithm to look for different features in the phonocardiogram signal. And so maybe one sound pattern may be characteristic of aortic stenosis, and maybe another pattern maybe indicate mitral regurgitation, for example. Very cool. And since there are some really good catheter-based treatments for valve disease these days, I can see how this could be very useful for getting the right care to the right patient at the right time. Are there other potential implications for quality and performance improvement? I think that there's a lot of potential here to improve your triage and referral decisions. So if you think about the care pathway, you can kind of see how a more accurate diagnosis with the stethoscope by the primary care doc might help to optimize your referrals. So right now, if the primary care doc thinks that maybe they hear a heart murmur, they refer you to a specialist and or you probably get a cardiac echo, which is your gold standard for diagnosing structural heart disease. But the problem with this is you tend to get a lot of false positives in this paradigm. In fact, there's some data out there that show that sometimes more than half the cases referred for an echo don't actually have any structural heart disease. And so you could have maybe avoided the costs and the stress and anxiety and the time off work and all the other negatives associated with the false positive. So the hope is that maybe with the use of the AI algorithm, you improve the clinician's diagnostic accuracy, and then maybe it increases their confidence to not order unnecessary tests. Well, that sounds reasonable. So my next question would be, does it work? Does the use of the AI improve diagnostic accuracy? If you look in the clinical literature, there are some pretty good, well-designed diagnostic performance type studies that generally show sensitivities and specificities in the 80s and 90s, which I'd say is pretty good, albeit not perfect. But again, this is compared to the use of echo as your gold standard. If you look at the literature on how this AI tech compares to a clinician, there's actually a number of studies that suggest it's at least as good or better than the experts looking at the same cases. So in essence, what you're seeing is that using the AI can probably 
probably raise the test accuracy, especially maybe for a less experienced or a non-specialist clinician. But referring back to that comment you made at the beginning about reviving the lost art of auscultation, I guess I'd say we're reviving the value of auscultation, but in this case, we're doing it with science and technology. So as I'm thinking more about this, I can see how you'd want to be really careful here to not miss any true disease cases. I agree. You're right. And the caveat with this technology, I think, is in its intended use. So the labeling states that you shouldn't use it as the sole means of diagnosis. It's meant to be used as an adjunct to the physician's own judgment. So they can use it as a tool or maybe a second set of ears, so to speak, to help in their diagnosis. But ultimately, they're going to be responsible for making that final diagnosis and the patient management decisions. I don't mean to keep harping on the safety issues, but I guess using it as an adjunct tool, like you said, if you use just as another piece of helpful information, then it's less of a safety concern. Is that right? I think that's pretty much the way the FDA was looking at it when they approved it, but only with that kind of specific product labeling. But again, this technology can still have an impact, even if we're talking about using it very, very conservatively. So for example, let's say we're being very careful and still sending most patients with a potential murmur on to an echo, but say it affects only about 10% of cases where you say, I didn't think it was a murmur and the AI confirmed it. So this patient is not getting referred for an echo. So right now there are about 5 million echoes performed annually in the U.S. So even 10% fewer would still be a huge savings, right? So I know you're always telling us that hospitals should be buying outcomes, not technologies. So that reduction in resource utilization with fewer echoes seems like it could be an important outcome for hospitals to think about, especially if they're in some value-based care reimbursement paradigms. So is there any data yet to back up these claims? Well, firstly, this is awesome. That is the mantra that I say a lot. (laughs) And honestly, I'm kind of a little proud that I've maybe made you a convert to the philosophy about buying outcomes, not devices. Of course you have. So right now we're in this, I'd say the next phase of evidence development, where hopefully we'll start to see some publications focused on the outcomes like morbidity and mortality and costs. And we can probably also expect to see some real world type studies with the use of this technology for different clinical indications and for well define patient populations, and then you can use that data to better define maybe some appropriate patient selection criteria. Another thing I'd also really like to see is some independently conducted, your non-manufacturer-sponsored accuracy studies that can maybe further corroborate the current evidence that we have on diagnostic accuracy. Speaking of future clinical studies, what are some other potential future developments to watch out for with this technology? For starters, I think you can expect to see incremental improvement in the technology itself. So this might come from training the AI software on a larger and more diverse data set or making some small tweaks to the algorithms for better feature detection. And then these things should in turn improve the diagnostic accuracy of the technology over time. I think I also alluded to this before, but you can probably expect a lot of competitors to jump into the field if it starts to gain traction and if it looks like it's becoming more lucrative. I've seen this a lot where for AI companies, the bar to entry into the market is pretty low. You just need an algorithm. few coders and a good training data set, and you can become a player pretty fast. The last area where there's really a lot of R&D right now is for interpretation of lung sounds. So I'm thinking in the future, maybe you have one app on your phone for heart sounds and maybe a different app for lung sounds, or maybe more likely there's probably a button on the stethoscope that you just push depending on if you're listening to the heart or the lungs. And so maybe then the device automatically adjusts parameters and algorithms for different types of sounds. 
Sounds like the doctor of the future is going to have dozens of these different AI apps or tools for all kinds of applications, like we already talked about for helping read x-ray and ECGs and heart sounds and all kinds of other applications. Actually, since you just mentioned it, one of the next things you'll probably see is the single lead ECG sensor included on the end of the digital stethoscope. And actually, these devices are already available. So, for example, this lets you potentially detect atrial fibrillation using the stethoscope during the exam. And of course, that is going to probably also use the AI for the AFib diagnosis, just like you already have right now on ECGs from various fitness bands and watches and things like that. There's also another really interesting application for an ECG-enabled stethoscope that's under FDA fast-track review right now. And in it, you can use AI and the ECG to diagnose heart failure. So you might also add this app to your repertoire of AI tools on your phone. That's incredible. How does that work to detect heart failure? That's another interesting AI story. So this AI comes out of a group of researchers at Mayo, and they had this huge database of annotated 12-lead ECG data that they'd been collecting on all of their patients for decades. And so they published a lot on using their AI algorithms to analyze the ECG for all sorts of different applications. And they've shown they can do things like really accurately predict your age and your sex and blood potassium levels and now the presence of low ejection fraction, all by using AI trained using this big Mayo ECG data set. There's also some new research coming out now that's using AI and the ECG to diagnose heart valve disease. So just like the app we're talking about here with AI and stethoscopes, but now we're talking about using AI and ECGs. Again, this just shows you the real power of AI and machine learning because unlike AFib that most doctors can easily spot on an ECG, these other things like heart failure and valvular heart disease are things that a human expert looking at that ECG signal can't really diagnose. So AI is uncovering these new subtle features of the ECG signal. And in essence, you're creating a whole new type of AI biomarker for heart failure. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it just fascinating to think about how different things are going to be in the future due to AI? And we haven't even mentioned the possibilities of chat GPT yet. I just used that to title a presentation I was getting ready to do. <laughs> oh boy, Marilyn, don't get me started on chat GPT. <laughs> I really think that CHEP GPT is going to be a hugely disruptive technology, although the caveat here is we're still in the very early stages. But I do think I read recently that one study CHEP GPT was able to pass the U.S. medical licensing exam, which is kind of cool. And I have no doubt that millions of people have already probably asked CHEP GPT questions about their symptoms or their health problems. But I just hope they got an accurate answer because sometimes CHEP GPT just makes up authoritative sounding answers, which is actually a well-known issue with generative AI. It's technically known as AI hallucinations, which sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, I think we need a whole new podcast on ChatGPT. Hey, I'm game if you are. Mm -hmm. Let's get it on the schedule. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Knowledge on the Go. I'd like to thank Dr. Cummings for speaking with us today. And thank you to our listeners for taking the time to join us. And please look for future Knowledge on the Go podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments at picollaboratives at For Vizient's PI program team, I'm Marilyn Sherrill. 